Hello. This week, we're going to talk about some heavier topics than usual, including, but not limited to, sexual harassment and assault. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan. This week, we discuss if Kevin Feige actually watches movies. and Dan, a Marvel recap podcast where we try to figure out just who and what is going on in this cinematic universe. My name is Tyler Borland, and with me is co-host Danny Vincent. Wouldn't you say this week's a little different, Danny? Yes, it is. But before we get into that, you all just heard a really random voice during right before the music. It wasn't me. I'm not random. I mean, I can be, but yeah, I'm not that random. <laughs> Box message party. Not again. We really need to get a bit more secure server. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, who is this? Who are you? It was me, Sarah. Sarah Kamal. Sarah who? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Sarah who? <laughs> I was pausing for dramatic effect. Okay, cool. Who are you? Uh, I'm Sarah. I went to college with both Ty and Dan. I also do a podcast with, with Danny. Um which is called the the Snow Club, and yeah, I like movies, not necessarily Marvel, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get into that, but first we got to talk about how you know us. Now, if I remember right, maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, we'll have it recorded for prosperity. Uh, Tyler, didn't you once direct one of Sarah's plays at school? I know I acted in a few for uh, okay for Big Muddy. Were you in the clown one? Were you in the clown one? I know. I know. I was in the one. The first one that I was in uh, that Sarah wrote was it was Andrew Davidson and I, and we were watching a movie, and um, I think there were even a few like jokes about Thor and stuff, and we we had had the bench, and uh, we had popcorn. You had the popcorn. (laughs) We did. We did this bit where we. um, where we retracted the back of our seats, but this bench didn't have backs to the seat. So it was just <laughs> it was just that. Andrew and I holding ourselves up while stuffing our face full of popcorn at like this 45 degree angle. And uh, Sarah had us like talk with our mouths full and spit popcorn <laughs> on each other. And it was really fun. Wow, spitting on each other popcorn in a movie theater? Definitely not for COVID times. Nope. No, it's okay. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Sarah and I have been working on a play for a bit. Sarah, come on. that You gotta brag about me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think that's your job. It's not my job. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I, I gotta work on myself. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, so I think we kind of covered our first question, which is explain how you know us. Um, so the first question we got for you in your introduction is, what is your favorite Marvel movie? Now, here's the deal. You know what? No, you know what? I have to ask you first to get this on this clear for our audiences. What is your general opinion on the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm generally not a, a huge fan of the MCU. Um, I just, there's, I don't know. I feel like it's, 
it's kind of cookie cutter for me. I feel like the movies are kind of copy paste and they have been for a while. I think there's too many movies. <laughs> um, cause there's so, and now there's all these TV shows that you have to watch in order to like know what's going on. And it's just not really, it's not really for me. You say that like the TV shows are new, but like I thought you had to watch all seven seasons of Agents of Shield to understand Ant Man too. Uh, <laughs> Not. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, now that we got that out of the way, uh, well, I guess we should probably explain why you're here. <laughs> well, now you know what? No, we'll explain that when we get to our topic because we brought you on for a reason. Uh, but okay, so f- what is your favorite Marvel movie? Now, here's the deal: since we know you don't like the MCU. And this has also been the deal for everyone else is you can pick a not MCU movie. However, we still want to know what your favorite MCU movie would be. You just don't have to really talk about it. Um, yeah. So my favorite MCU movie is probably Iron Man 1. Um, I think it's genuinely a good movie. Uh, it's it's a lot darker than other Marvel movies at the time because they didn't really or in the future because they didn't really know what it would become. And I feel like Robert Downey Jr., wasn't really phoning it in yet. Um, <laughs> my favorite Marvel movie is probably Spider-Man 2, for sure. Just classic superhero film. Just perfect in every way. Should we tell... Uh, do you want to hear my Spider-Man 2 story or no? Now, now a good time for my Spider-Man 2 story? Sure. Tyler's giving me a look. I mean, I guess. It's like, I don't know what the story is, so. <laughs> Well, okay, so Spider-Man 2 is the only movie I ever saw with my late grandma, or as I will call her in the story, my Oma. Uh, she didn't pass away around then. She passed away when I was in high school, and I saw Spider-Man 2 when I was nine. Uh, but what happened was two things, is I sat next to my Oma and my mom. They both did two very memorable things. And this is memorable, because I remember this. And I know that's a bit redundant, but I was nine years old. I was nine years old at the time. So Sorry. I remember both these things very distinctly. And one of them was, is that during the raindrops keep falling on my head, my Oma just went, oh, I love this song. And she sang along to the entire song, which, you know, it's kind of cool. Cool that I have that memory of seeing a movie with my Oma. Uh, but then my mom... Uh, in the scene where, uh, you know, there's a jump scare when Doc Ock meets Harry and like the Ock, the tentacle comes straight toward the screen and it's a jump scare. And my mom, she jumped. She literally got completely out of her seat, uh, looked around. I, I don't know why I remember this so distinctly. I remember like looking around to see if anyone noticed she jumped and then sitting back down <laughs> after the jump scare. It was a very memorable, very formative movie for me. It was the first PG-13 movie I saw in theaters. And, you know, that's the reason I told that story is because, uh, Sarah, you know that this is my podcast, so uh, I have to make everything about me. Oh, okay. Do you have a Spider-Man 2 story? Wait, I was going to ask her if she has a <laughs> Spider-Man 2 story. Tyler, you won't let me make up for my failings. Oh. I mean, my only real, like, I guess, formative memory with Spider-Man 2 is it was the first movie that I saw in theaters twice. Oh. Um, because I saw it with my cousins, and then I saw it with my brother afterwards. So yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. I guess we should do a Spider-Man 2 episode someday. Memory is, I just remember renting the VHS and being super excited. Yep, that that's just VHS, Spider-Man 2. Yep. I'm, glad, I'm glad none of us brought up the video game yet, because the pizza theme is... Oh, I, 
Yeah, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a Spider-Man Two episode, and yeah. we will talk about the video game. Oh, the video game is so good. <laughs> Anyways, uh, all right. So our next question is very important because we share a Disney Plus account, uh, and that is, is that <laughs> is WandaVision good? Is WandaVision a good show? I don't even know what to make of this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a pointed question. Uh, is it worth? Is it worth you paying Disney Plus? I mean, you know that I haven't watched it, so I don't know why you're asking me. I just want to know if you consider it a good use of your money to pay for WandaVision, essentially. I, you know, <laughs> we'll see that your portion of the money goes towards WandaVision. Mine goes towards High School Musical, the musical, the series. And we split Grogu, right? Yes. Joint custody okay, of Grogu. <laughs> okay. That works. That's fine. <laughs> All right. So we had a guest on last week named Caleb S. Bunn. I think you might be familiar with him. I, I've heard <laughs> a thing or two, yes. <laughs> of, of our good friend, Cleb. Uh, so he he knew that you were coming on because we talked about how we had the next close to Stump Club. So we had a... A question tailored to your particular take on Marvel, mm-hmm. which is, if you were given free reign of Marvel, what are one or two things you would change? Now, here's the deal. You can't get, I because me and Tyler will answer this, too. We can't say something. I can't say something like, uh, get rid of Tom Holland. I hate him. Like, that's such a, you can't give a lazy answer like that. And you also can't just be like, uh, well, I simply wouldn't make the movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can only fix one or two things what would you fix i would want to see more diversity across the board um especially for writers and directors um and with that i guess more freedom for directors in general just letting them kind of be allowed to make what they want to make go the the taika ytd route and just let him do what he wants to do and yeah, I would say just be more open to trying new things. I'm curious. Um, you might not have. Uh, did you watch the Eternals trailer? Because okay, because I know that's the general attitude towards that is like you know this is Marvel's real chance to actually let someone do something. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I would change is kind of in line with you. Uh. And it's because it has to do with your directing control, but it's a bit more specific, which is that, uh, well, I know Tyler hasn't, but I know you've seen Creed Mm -hmm. and going from Creed to Black Panther, the action sequences take a clear step down. And that is mostly due to the Marvel practice of pre-visualization and how they basically create their action scenes in a computer, even sometimes even before directors attached, uh, and of course, the directors adjusted it here and there, but they still have to go along with the previs. I would see if we can make a Marvel movie without previs. I don't think for certain movies you need. I get, I get for like Guardians. You know, if you're doing a big space battle, you're gonna want to create that in a computer beforehand. But I would like to see Marvel try to move away from that, especially, for example, with directors who've proven themselves, like with Black Panther two. When it happens, I would like to see Coogler return to a style of action that was established in Creed. Uh, and I think that'd be good across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler, what about you? What would you change to try to make these movies better? That I would do um, would be more. I'm looking at this from a directorial stance, and I would I would change. Um, I have Ultron still out there, like lurking around, um, because that was a. I think 
Avengers to um, Age of Ultron didn't feel like an Age of Ultron. That's that's the butt of the joke there. And um, it was I, a, it was a three days of Ultron, right? Half so, a week of Ultron. So I think that uh, having him like locked away he's locked away in a chat room somewhere you know what i mean <laughs> he's just locked out in the internet somewhere and he can't get out of it um and just having him come back and getting the full um comic treatment like on screen um so i guess more over for as a more general thing it would be that um we see some not all because i do like that Marvel, the MCU is adapted stories from the comics. I do like that. Um, but uh, also, I would like to see some more play from the from the original, like the source material. You know? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, can I can I add one thing that I think we'd all agree on, though, too? What's that? Uh, which is, uh, I think we'd all agree that we would like to get a little more distinct scores in this joint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be the second thing. Yeah. Every hero let's get needs some, their own Let's score. get some good music. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So, Sarah, now you got to give us a question for our next guest. I will give you the disclaimer that our next guest will not be on until mid-July. Mm. Uh so you have a like I mean we still need the question now. Yeah. But you're not gonna get a response for a while as a heads up. Who it can I ask who the next guest is? Uh yes, but Joe will have to cut it from the episode. Joe. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. I have a question of mine. I don't know if it's gonna cater to him. So my question is assuming that your next guest is a Marvel fan, if you could experience an MCU movie for the first time all over again. What would it be and why? That's a good question. I'm already thinking about what I would say, but uh, I have six weeks to figure (laughs) it out, so I'm not too worried about it. (laughs) Uh, uh, Clearly, the answer is um, The Incredible Hulk, because uh, I'd be like, who are these actors? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, Do it. (laughs) That's just a joke answer. That's not that's not my act. That won't be my answer. Uh. Can I pick one division? No. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, now we're going to move on to our discussion of the films of Kate Shortland in anticipation of her MCU directorial debut with the theatrical release of Black Widow. Now, this is why we had my good friend Sarah on. Because first off, Sarah recommended to me back when it was like first on Netflix yes. to watch Berlin Syndrome, which will be the main movie we talk about today. Because uh, it's Kate Shortland's most recent movie. But we're going to talk about horror movies a bit, too. Sarah, I would consider, to me, is my go-to, like... This is a weird thing to say, but I'll just say, like, my expert on female directors. Like, if I'm like, I want to watch something directed by a woman, Sarah can usually point me in the right direction. Uh, if, you know, I, if I'm specifically feeling the need for some femme-directed stuff. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and we also took... We did Feminist Horror together, which was a fun class. So... And I would say Berlin Syndrome qualifies as horror. We can maybe discuss that a bit when we actually get to Berlin Syndrome. But we're going to go through Kate Shortland's entire career. And even though Berlin Syndrome is the big thing, because, um, well, we'll be honest. Me and Sarah watched Somersault because it's hard to find. I watched Lore and then decided no one else on this podcast needed to watch it. Uh, and I'll get to that when we talk about Lore. And then we all watched Berlin Syndrome. So first we're going to talk about Somersault. 
And since me and Sarah talked about it, it's going to mostly be us. But Tyler, feel free to ask us questions based on what we're saying if we're not being clear. Okay. So, Summer Assault came out in 2004. Uh, it stars Abby Cornish, who famously has a very bad accent in Free Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And also has uh, Sam Worthington in it in 2004, five years before he became the biggest star of the world. Where he also has a bad accent in Avatar. Yeah, yeah. I think of uh, I, I'll, I, my comment on Sam Worthington in this movie is that he was giving me Ewan McGregor vibes, but like Ewan McGregor is Ewan McGregor. Uh, so Sarah's giving me a look. I like Ewan. Sorry, Subi. Uh, uh, but yeah, so this is like a um, this is like a coming of age story type of thing. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Tyler, to give the spoiler alert, but we're going to talk about these movies probably to their endings. Uh, I would say the only one of these that is really worth seeking out is Berlin Syndrome, and it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to check that out, check it out. And if you don't want to check it out, like just listen to us talk about <laughs> it, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but Somersault, it's a movie about a 16-year-old? She's 16, year old? yeah. 16. 16, okay. 16-year-old girl who uh, decides to kiss her mom's boyfriend. Uh, and then because of that, uh, she runs away to a nearby ski town, try to live on her own for a bit. And she gets, I don't want to say tangled up, but she air quotes falls in love with this guy she meets. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much air quotes because it's more of an infatuation type of thing. Definitely not actual love. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we don't really have, uh, we can just talk about it. Uh, I thought this was okay. That's uh, that's what I say. It's it's an okay movie. Yeah. Uh, it's very much debut. I can get why it was a big deal in 2004. Uh, especially, I don't know. It's going to be like, especially in Australia. But I don't really know if Australia has anything to do with this movie's uh, success. Uh, Kate Shortland is Australian, which all these movies, well, two of these movies have Australian leads. Uh, Lore is a Holocaust movie, so it doesn't, obviously. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm trying to think about this movie. Uh, Sarah, do you have any notes you want to talk about specifically with it? I guess to compare it just a tiny bit to Berlin Syndrome, and I'll talk about that more, you know, when we actually talk about that movie. I feel like the protagonist is just so, like, wishy-washy, and she just is so, like, I don't know, just the decisions that she makes are just so bad. And I feel like... By the time we get to Berlin Syndrome, it's like we finally get a protagonist who is like capable. Um, but in it's definitely like I always think of it as like when you're an adult watching movies, eventually you like you start to relate more to the adults than you do to the to the kids. Yeah, the best part of this movie to me was the um owner of the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's not really in it much. She's in it for like five minutes, six minutes, mm-hmm. but she, she acts really well on those. She reminded me of like a nice, like aunt type of thing. Yeah. It was very, she was the one person in the movie who felt very nice to me. Uh, I liked how Australians say the word Bianca. Bianca. Um, this is a, <laughs> Bianca. <laughs> they all go, no, it's not like that. It's like Bono. No, uh, we have a running joke on this podcast about Bono that, yeah, it happens. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, Anyway, uh, what were you? Uh, yes, the protagonist is kind of wishy-washy, but I also think that kind of 
to me, I was thinking kind of, I know you're not, your controversial take on Lady Bird, uh, which is that you don't like it that yes. much. It's uh, like, what, what other take is No, there? no, no, I'm bringing, I'm bringing you back, is that uh, I don't think you, I, do you like Lady Bird the character in that movie? No. Yeah, that's my point. I like Lady Bird the character in that movie. Uh, and I think it comes down to the fact that it's a teenager that I'm willing to forgive I like Lady Bird way more than the main character in Somersault, to be clear. And I, I think Lady Bird's a much better movie, personally, uh, to me. But anyway, uh, I think when the main character is a teenager, I can forgive it a bit more. The issue to me more with Somersault is that there's no, like... I can't really get inside her head at all. Uh, yeah. Berlin Syndrome is kind of like this, too. But it works more, because... And I'll get into that. I think... I'm going to stop talking about Berlin Syndrome right now because we're, we're not talking about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I wish we could get more inside her head. Uh, I did think I actually like Sam Worthington this more than the girl. Uh, yeah, I did too. He's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he has some stuff that got me confused. I was getting lost at points. I texted Sarah about it and asked, is he kissing his dad? <laughs> and then Sarah's like, no, that's his family friend. And I was like, oh, that makes a bit more sense that they aren't making a huge deal out of this. <laughs> That's just how it is in Australia. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, ooh, all right, okay. Uh, but yeah, Sam Worthington in this is pretty solid. I wonder if I wonder if Jimmy Cameron saw it before he, he cast him in Avatar. Because, <laughs> well, this was a pretty high-profile movie on the indie scene type of thing. It's just that we don't really think about the indie scene in 2004. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't feel... I mean, it feels pretty timeless, to be honest. Like, it doesn't really feel like a 2004 movie. The music. The music gets me back to 2004. Yeah, I guess. But, like, it doesn't feel like a period piece. You know what I mean? It just feels like yeah. it just exists in its own state. Yeah. I would agree. Um, do you have anything else to say about Somersault? I'm down to move on, if, unless we have more to talk about. Um, I guess the only other thing that I would say to kind of tie into the... The question. The question, by the way, which we haven't really said. The question is, why was Kate Shortland hired <laughs> by Kevin Feach? I was going to, yeah. Or like, did Kevin Feach, did, did he watch did his Kevin movies? Did these movies? Um, <laughs> it's a lot about sexuality and it's a lot about love versus lust. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty heavy stuff. So I'm, it's not really what you would expect from, I guess, a Marvel director. We will get into this more when we talk about Berlin Syndrome, but... I said before we recorded that Berlin Syndrome is the lightest stuff for three films, yes. which is uh, saying a lot when you're, you're going to hear us discuss yeah, it. Yeah, Danny, Danny uh, told me that today after I, I was texting him while watching Berlin Syndrome, and I was like, this is heavy. He's like, yeah, that's the lightest of her three. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 I wonder if Feech did what we did, and he just sat down and watched all three of these in a row. <laughs> or what I did. <laughs> Triple feature for the deck, the, the ages. All right. Well, shall I move on to Laura? Laura will be quick because I'm the only one who watched it. So Laura is, it's it's, uh, it's a well-made movie. I would say Somersault's a well-made movie too. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's a Holocaust movie. Well, actually, it's not true. It's a post-war movie about people trying to escape Germany that, aren't Jewish, but they come across some Jewish 
I don't know. It's hard for me to explain. I'll be honest. I got lost at points again. And unlike Somersault, I didn't have someone to text to clarify it for me. Uh, it's entirely in German, which is a little, little, little foreshadowing for Berlin Syndrome, because half of Berlin Syndrome's in German. Uh, yeah, my thing is, it's like, it's a Nazi, it's a, not a Nazi movie, but it's a post-war movie that is, it gets into, you know, the rape, uh, the, the torture, the everything, but it's all the aftermath, and it was, it was just a rough watch, uh, I think it's well made, but I can't recommend it to anyone because it's just heavy. There's, I don't want to say there's little moments of levity and that makes it bad because I don't think it makes it bad. I just think make it, it makes it not a movie for me. I will shout out two things I thought were great. I thought the cinematography was great. It was very gorgeous. I love her color grading. I don't have this list for Berlin syndrome, but I like how, and, but Somersault had this too. I like the way, this is such a weird comment. I like the way she shoots blue eyes. They're color graded really nice, uh, and they're very distinctive in a way I don't usually see blue eyes in movies be. And I also the score for Lore is done by Max Richter, who I don't know if either of you know the name, uh, but Max Richter is a wonderful composer. Uh, have you have I know Sarah Tyler? Have you seen Arrival? No. The okay, well the closing and ending tracks of Arrival are by Max Richter, which if you've seen it. You would remember those tracks, I guarantee yeah. you. They're, they're very memorable pieces of score. Uh, but yeah, he's a great composer. I think he also did... I think he might have done Watchmen, I'm not sure. I think he did some big HBO show. Maybe it's Westworld. He did Shutter no, Island. No, Reznor and Ross. He did Shutter Island. Yeah. Yeah. He did, yeah. Uh, now I want to look up what HBO show I'm thinking of, and then we can move on. Uh, but he's a very good composer. Uh he doesn't do a lot of movies, too, so that's why I was surprised to see him do this. Oh, you know what? He did... Uh, oh, no. Oh, Ad Astro is what I was thinking. But mm. that's obviously not a Netflix show, an HBO show. Uh, I don't know. I don't really care. Any- oh, he did The Leftovers. That was it. He did The Leftovers. And that was the HBO show I was trying to remember. Uh, but, yeah. Decent technical qualities. Cannot recommend because it was a heavier heavier than either of her other two movies, which is saying a lot. So now we're moving on to our main topic, which is Berlin Syndrome, which is most likely the main reason Feech hired Kate Charlin because it came out in 2017. I wouldn't say it was really financially successful, at least in the U.S., but it it had buzz. I heard the indie directors talking about it. Did this premiere at a festival, Sarah? Are you, do you know? Um, I'm just look. asking it premiered at Sundance. Makes sense. Yeah, I got some buzz coming out of Sundance. Uh, it has Teresa Palmer in it, who I know as the girl from The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yes, me too. Uh, <laughs> she was also in Warm Bodies uh, and in Lights Out, which I don't I don't really like personally. Uh, I'm trying to see if she's anything else. She was in I Am Number 4. She's in Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, she plays a... Our the our boy, uh, he plays Andrew Garfield's wife. Our she boy plays Andy Garfield. Uh, wow, she really hasn't done any movies though since this one. That's super weird. Well, she did. She's been having kids. Like she's been popping out a bunch of babies. So that's probably why. She also she has a she has a show on uh, Sky One, which is a UK network. Oh yeah, I think it's on Shutter in the US. I think. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's the thing. 
Season 1 premiered in 2018, and Season 2 is literally premiered this past January in the UK, which is kind of a long wait, but you know what? Get paid, you know? Happy you're still around. Uh, but yeah, she's very good in this, uh, and she's some. She's the closest the movie has to a name, so that's why I'm talking about her. Uh, but yeah, this came out in 2017. I believe it was released in the U.S. on Netflix. I don't know if it got a, a U.S. release. No, it, it did. I just don't know who the distributor was, really. Because it's kind of a no-name distributor. But yeah, uh, so sh- should I give a synopsis of the movie, or should we just go into our general thoughts first? Um, you could, you could do a synopsis. You could do a synopsis of it, yeah. I'll just read the Wikipedia quick synopsis. It will save us some time. This film is based on a novel of the same name by Melanie Justin, hopefully pronouncing it right, and tells the story of a young Australian photographer who travels to Germany. She meets with an attractive young English teacher. Waking up after a stormy night of passion with him, the photography is suddenly taken hostage by her would-be lover. Uh, it kind of plays off of... I don't know what those types of stories are called. Um, I think of the movie Room. Uh, there's a particular t- name for this uh, tragic phenomenon, but I don't remember what it's called. You know, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like where there's like, where the protagonist is stuck in one room, and yeah. they've got to figure out. How uh, to get well, out. very specifically, that it's like a woman who's been kidnapped by a man. Because mm. uh, Room does that. Kimmy Schmidt makes jokes about like Kimmy Schmidt is basically a parody of that topic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but anyway, it's it's a playoff of that type of thing. This this movie, um, I thought about this. Uh, do you remember um, Boy Gets Girl? The the play Boy Gets yes, Girl. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. This yeah. this movie is like Boy Gets Girl, but like set the level up ten times. And uh, I was I was kind of like that. Yeah. So um, if you ever get the chance to see boy gets girl a production of boy gets girl watch that and then watch this movie on netflix but yeah boy gets girl um yeah that type of a uh, stalker story but this isn't a stalker it's a captive story yeah <laughs> i know what you're saying tyler yeah. i'm just clarifying for the listeners um so let's go into our general thoughts i was hooked from the synopsis of this film right away um i knew nothing of this of this film and uh Quite honestly, Danny had proposed, he's like, hey, how do we prep for Black Widow? And I was like, well, I don't know. We could watch this movie and this movie and this movie. So I was sending him a whole, a whole bunch of MCU films. And then he was like, actually, we could just watch some of the the director of Black Widow, like watch her films and talk about them. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That would actually, that would actually uh, be really nice anticipation of poss- you know, possibilities for Black Widow. Were you going to say something, Danny? Well, I just want to clarify, uh, for the record, I hadn't seen any of Kate Shortland's films. Uh, I just heard <laughs> Berlin Syndrome was good from Sarah, and I was like, oh, that'd probably be interesting to discuss. But I was more thinking about the other two coming out this year, which are Chloe Zhao and um, uh, I always mix it up. It's either Daniel Destin Crudden or Destin Daniel Crudden. Daniel I always Destin feel bad. Destin. No. No, it's I don't know which one's first. That's the issue. Yep. But anyway, Crichton, uh, I've seen I've seen Nomadland and I've seen three of Crichton's movies. And I think they'd both be very interesting to discuss, particularly Crichton, not only because of his directing skill, but because 
Brie Larson in Captain Marvel is always, I think, given a... And it's for me, too. We give her a bit too hard... hard uh, uh, what's the word for it? We, we, we're a bit too hard on her. Uh, and a lot of people think she's a bad actor off of that movie alone. And... She's really great in all credit. Tyler, you're smiling because you think I'm subtweeting you. No, but this is, no, this is no, a, no. You subtweet me uh, all day. What I'm saying is, like, <laughs> I would be fine with, like, it's, oh, we give her too much, like, or, oh, we're too, we're too harsh on it. The thing is, is, like, she defends her performance. Okay, we're not getting into it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay we're it. not going to get Anyways. into it now. We're not going to get into it now. The issue of... Ca- the, I think it's a script thing, not a her thing. That's all I mean. Uh, but with Credin, you're going to see some great Brie Larson also. That's my point. Gotcha. Gotcha. She's in all of her, his films. Uh, so that's why I was like, let's do this. And the Kate Short movie is probably great, too. And it was great. Yeah. yeah it this, just was this way was, heavier than we thought we were getting this into. Was a, this was a really good <laughs> film. Um, and I'll go further in, into that. Uh, I stayed on the edge of my seat for the next two hours. Um, these characters were extremely complicated and I really liked that. I really appreciated that. Um, and I thought that Kate Shortland handled them extremely well. Um, the cinematography was engaging. The use of sound was smart, was smart, and it was a great narrative asset. And, like, sound, I don't know, sound gets used, like, it to me it's not, a lot of times it's not used to do what Shortland did with it in this film. And she was queuing up things that were going to happen, you know, that she was queuing up things, um, well, we gotta, events. We gotta talk about sound design later, because uh, I love talking yeah, sound design. Yeah, so she was queuing up things, um, and it, it kept me on the edge of my seat, even in moments where it was, it shouldn't necessarily have, you know, have done that. Um, but, uh, and then I thought both of the actors, the main, you know, main protagonist and antagonist, they portrayed a riveting story that doesn't cut corners. They could have easily, easily um, cut a few things out of out of it, but they they didn't. Um, yeah. So so Danny, I know that maybe you would have appreciated if they would have cut a few corners. It's funny. It's funny. That's how you. That's funny. How. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The, the, my, my main thing I've written is that I'm pretty positive of the movie too. But whenever, whenever Tyler gushes, I got to start with my negative point to immediately tip the scale, and then I'll I'll be a bit more positive. Is I think this movie is a bit too long. Uh, I think this might be intentional to make you feel trapped in with her. However, I still think the second half gets a bit repetitive, personally. But that's my only real complaint. Uh, this was definitely my favorite of the three Shortland films I watched. Uh, but I do I think it's due to that it plays with genre. And it's much more of a horror psychological thriller thing. Whereas the other two are just straight dramas. Uh, and as such with this, even though, yeah, I got terrified at points for the main character. Uh, I still felt like I was in a comfort zone where I could root for her and feel confident that Shortland wasn't going to give me a bad ending for her. Because there would be no point to this movie that had abandoned it, you know? There would literally be no point uh, to sitting for two hours and her just, like, either staying in captivity or dying, right? Uh, so, because of, like, the... I don't, wanna, I don't know what the word for it is. It's kind of like... It's... I always refer to it as, like, kind of the promise you make going into a movie under a genre. Uh, and that's why people... When people... 
subvert expectations and they don't give you the ending you're expecting with that genre, a lot of the times it just makes you angry at the movie entirely uh, and you just walk out in anger. Sometimes it works and those are really great movies, but if it doesn't work, then you get so mad. And, and my point is, is that it did. She did give me the happy ending I was expecting. It just took me us uh, a while to get there, uh, which I guess could say, you know, it made it feel even better type of thing. But for me, it was still eh, it's a bit repetitive. Uh, there was great performances. And it's kind of I think goes to the sound design is I was thinking this more as a good atmosphere movie mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is like like the camera would like lay still at points and would just really bask in it type of thing. Uh but yeah, it's great. Just wish it was a little bit shorter. As Danny mentioned, I had seen this movie before. Um, so I'll, I'll talk more about my second impression. Um, but I really like this movie. I mean, it's definitely very difficult to watch. But I think re-watching it, it gives me kind of a new perspective. Um, there's a lot of points when you're watching, you know, like a female-led thriller... Where you do kind of get these ideas of like, well, why did she do that? Why isn't she doing this? And I think that Berlin Syndrome is really smart in that it doesn't give you a dumb protagonist. I think she's very capable. I think the things that she does is what pretty much anybody would do in that situation. Um, and I, I think that it's interesting because for me, like the second time I watched it, I found... I did find a lot more of the like creepy horror elements to it. Um, I think the antagonist, uh, Andy, the man who's keep, who's holding her captive, has like bizarre like psychopathic tendencies that they kind of touch on, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of an interesting sort of touch because it doesn't really romanticize it, which, which you might expect, and. I guess another thing that I really like, I mean, obviously, like, Teresa Palmer is a beautiful woman, um, and I really appreciate that this movie allowed her to be kind of distressed and ugly and just kind of not beaten up, but, like, she wasn't glamorous pretty much at any point during this movie, which I, I like. Yeah, no, that's, that's I, I get you. I want to say one thing, which is, this is, like, such a terrible, like, reaction to have to a movie, but... You know, going into this movie, I don't know how much you knew about this, Tyler, uh, but I knew this was playing off of, like, the girl gets trapped in a room thing. And what I really like about this, we're, we're kind of going into digging in now, just to be clear, uh, but I'm start, I'm starting. Sorry, Tyler. You got to start with my point that's not on the dock. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, the uh, so going in this movie, it takes about a half hour for her to actually be captured, mm-hmm. which I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought actually too. the first, like, 45 minutes to an hour of this are really greatly paced um because it really lets you see what she's it's like to be free before you're stuck with her in this room yeah uh and then uh well but the thing is is you know you know what this movie is about going in and as soon as she sees like on her back the mind thing and you she like realizes that she's actually trapped there I was like, oh, just play, just just play that you don't know about this. Don't break the window. Just stay there. Wait for him to take you out to dinner again and run. Just run. And of course, that didn't happen because then there wouldn't be a movie 
And I completely understood why she tried to escape, but I was like, oh no, why are you doing this? This is going to doom you for the next checks time left in the movie. Hour and 20 minutes. No. But I don't think, I mean, at that point though, he wasn't planning on letting her out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that he would have, he would have risked that. Well, but the previous night, the previous night they took her out to dancing. I don't know. I didn't. Well, I, you know, you're probably right. You're probably right. I'm just saying this was what my this was what my thought was. I I, I prefaced it with being this is a dumb thought to be because <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he is kind of that like serial killer sort of like he has like a ritual, basically. So he was following his ritual. So at that point, I think she was doomed. You talked about we get this nice amount of time to spend with um, with Claire, you know, before she's captured. And the thing is. Claire is we know more about Andy than we do about Claire's like background but I was still I was still uh cheering for Claire the whole way through and um yeah you know and they're they're like we get through we get part of a reason as to why Andy is the way that he that he is um, but yeah, Claire, I mean, we just, we get a basic, like, this is where I'm from. This is why I'm here. This is, this is what I'm doing. Um, which I think just stre- like stresses the, like the chaos even more of, of Andy's actions. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but, but yeah, no, I, that is tr- like, usually we spend 30 minutes with the character I mean, look at, we talked about Spider-Man 2 earlier. We spend 30 minutes with Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, in Spider-Man 2, and we pretty much know know everything that guy's about, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, with, with Claire, we didn't, and I think that also lends to why we want to keep going further into into the story. Uh, one thing I also appreciate, this is just came to my mind. We're going to be jumping around a lot in this, by the way, listeners, just so you know. Um because I'm going to talk about the ending right now, uh, is that I felt like, I feel like there's a lot, I always talk, I don't know if I always talk about this, but I talk about how there's easy, like, endings you can always go for, uh, and I really like when they don't go for it, and one thing is these 30 minutes to me set up a ton of stuff that could obviously be used at the end as, like, a button, and the only button this movie has, if it has one, is the thing with the necklace, but I don't really think that's a button, that's more like a tying up a loose end of what happens to the necklace, um, because to me, uh, cameras and photography is a big motif of this movie. And I was really worried this was going to end with like something cheesy with her like picking up a camera, taking a picture type of thing. And it doesn't. Thank God. Because uh, in the first half hour, she's just taking all these gorgeous pictures. And then after the first half hour, any time a camera is on screen, it's just you're disgusted by it being there. Yeah. Uh, so it's just kind of a it's a good setup because you're watching it and you're like, OK, so she likes cameras. And then it's just like, oh, uh, fuck this. This episode has an explicitive on it already. I could say fuck this. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I I do. I like that point about how, like, that it turns our, it's subverting the expectations of here's this really cool object, this object that Claire's revolved her life around, and then it's flipped, you know, flipped on us and it's like, whoa, that, you know, uh, we weren't expecting it to be used like that. I, I want, wanted to go more into like a, uh, 
yeah, just character analysis of of Claire. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. So, like, uh, she is uh, she is from Australia. Um, she is in Germany as uh, as part of what was it? She took a she took a job and then now she's on vacation. She took a job in Germany and now she's on vacation. I honestly don't remember. Sarah, do you remember? I don't remember her talking about a job. I think she was just. I think she was just on vacation. Oh, she's uh, she's a backpacker, so she's just on vacation. Okay. Yeah, she was gonna go to Dresden. She was gonna go to Dresden next, yeah. but she wasn't in too much of a hurry because she's just a backpacker. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, she's uh, early. Or not early twenties. Yeah, she's she's twenties somewhere, and uh, it the stereotypical life in front you know all whole life in front of you and she's ready to go out in the world and see the world she's kind of a she's kind of a i would say she clearly has a relationship with her mom yeah mm-hmm. but personally i felt kind of like her vibe with her mom was like you're a bit too overprotective of me mom but the movie thankfully doesn't dwell on that mm-hmm. you know uh it just kind of is there and as soon as you know she realizes she's like in trouble, she immediately is like the first thing she does is she goes to her phone to try to text her mom about it. Uh but the SIM card is gone. Yeah, more on talking about Claire is she's she's a complicated character, um, in the in the sense that like we get the general gist of what she wants, but I think she's still figuring that out. You know, and that's mm-hmm. also very relatable too, um, because there are people twice her age who are still figuring, you know, figuring out what they're wanting to do in life. Um, so it's something that a lot of us can all all relate to. Um, however, you know, it's it's still she has that open road. You know, still where where am I going going next? And I think it's interesting because you can parallel that with the uh, the high schooler girl. Yeah. Yeah, because th- there I mean, in is high school. You don't really know where life's gonna go. There's a uh, so uh, so for the listeners, um, Andy, the antagonist of the film, he is a high school English teacher, and he's he has a female student in his class named uh, Franca, and uh, she is uh, eventually she plays a much bigger role uh, later on in the movie. She is very much of this just i'm you know i'm in i'm in high school she kinda. she visit okay yeah yeah yeah. she she visits him she visits yeah eventually him she visits mm-hmm. because andy because uh andy was checking her out and this is far enough in the this film freaked me out this is, yeah, yeah yeah it was so creepy yeah. and like Ugh. i noticed from the very beginning that andy he just had these creepy tendencies and i'm like uh this guy is just everything is telling me no, go to Dresden. Go to Dresden, Claire. Just go to Dresden, even though I know you're not going to do that. Tyler, I know you wanted to mention it. Yeah, because you mentioned it to me. Is uh, what? Because I didn't see it. You saw. You told me you saw the Netflix description of this movie, and you immediately knew you were in for like a time. Like, yeah, I, I thought you said you were going to mention it. What? What yeah, is it? So I didn't this, see it. <laughs> this Netflix description. Um. It, okay, so I'm going to paraphrase. Um. Hardcore here. But it it basically says that Claire is a traveling photographer who um, wants to see the world, and she has a one night stand with Andy, 
and all seems well until she finds out that she's locked in Andy's house. That is a really bad, really bad uh, description. But yeah, the Netflix a description was description of a description. Yeah, description of a description. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I read the ne- the Netflix description, which I saw this about four hours before we started recording. Um, and I was going into it. I was I was like, oh well, Berlin syndrome. This sounds maybe it's like Stockholm syndrome. Maybe it's something else. And I was like, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm intrigued. What am I, what am I in for? And then I saw the description and I was like, oh, this, this sounds like some criminal mind stuff. Let's see what's, let's I see looked what up this the description. Is. Do you guys want to hear it? Yeah. Do you guys want to hear it? Sure. What starts as a passionate one night stand quickly turns sinister when Claire learns she's locked inside Andy's apartment with no way out. Yeah. That is the night. There we go. There we go. That, and yeah, when I, when I read that, I was like, it's a movie. Oh, Okay, well, this is this is a very different <laughs> different film than what I what I thought it may be. So, uh, so yeah, we went in, yeah, went into it, started watching it, and uh, yeah, the whole way through, I like like I I think I said earlier, my heart's just pounding, and I'm I'm like, what's gonna happen next? And uh, cheering for Claire, but uh, talking about what one of the biggest uh, moments of suspense, which this movie did really well with hold overall. Up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Before we, before we get into that, um, Sarah, do you have any thoughts on, like, the characters of this movie? I feel like, I feel like we're talking oh, yeah. a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. We, we want to hear what you have to say. We want to, we want to hear you. You're here. It's Lies with Sarah this week and special guests Dan and Ty. So, what do you, like, let's, let's, I want to hear you dub into this character. Uh, a bit. No offense, Tyler. No, I actually didn't do no, it. It's, it's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, I guess something that something that you said that really struck with me is those first thirty minutes when they show that like what her freedom looks like. And what I really like is that Claire doesn't really seem particularly happy. Um, she doesn't seem like depressed, but like she's obviously, you know, as Tyler said, still trying to figure it out. And um, so to her, she is just kind of on a vacation. She's drifting. She's trying to meet new people, but she doesn't. The way that like Teresa Palmer plays it, it feels very awkward um, in like a good way, in like a touristy kind of way. Um, and I like that she's kind of taking this risk because there are moments when it does definitely feel like she's feels like she's taking a risk. Um, I like that those moments of freedom aren't necessarily perfect. And I like that, like, her relationship with her mom is a bit more complicated than we know. I think... Yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm so torn on Andy. Because, like, for me, I just... I, I appreciate, like, the, like, you know, the certain certain things that kind of contributed to, like, who he is as a person. But, like, for me, watching this, it really did feel like I was watching, like, a serial killer movie. So I was like, I just want to see him. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want anything to do with him. I want him to get his comeuppance. Like, I just... It's it creeps one of those things where, like, immediately, you know... Some, mov- some movies, you know, you start bad and it gets worse. But pretty much Andy, like... As soon as, as, soon as you lock someone in your house, like, there's no... Like, you know, and then... Yeah. And then what he does with her is just, like... And then there's an hour left of the movie. So it's like, well, he can't get worse. And... To be honest, I'll be blunt. I don't really think he does get worse. He is the same shitty person throughout the entire. I'm saying like once he's she like 
tie, once he ties her to her bed and just takes pictures of her. After that, you know, I don't think he gets actively worse or rather he stops surprising me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I had kind of an interesting observation is when they do have their one night stand. And at that point, they are kind of on equal footing. Like she doesn't know that anything bad is going to happen to her. The musical score is so sinister and it's so creepy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we know what's going to happen, but it's just, I like that the movie like clues us in and is like, you know that this is not going to turn out well. You can check the runtime. There's 25 minutes left. You're only 25 minutes in. Do you think yeah. this is going to be, yeah. <laughs> you think this is a good movie going to end? Yeah, there, there were moments <laughs> right around, around uh, the time of the sex scene where he says like, the windows don't open, you know, or mm-hmm. you you can you know you can make noise. No one's going to hear you. And I'm like, all of this is just like is telling me Red no. Flags. Yes, I'm like Red all flags. of this is telling me no. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the yeah the the film the film did a really good job of like dropping those, but they were integrated well into the into the dialogue. Um, it didn't just feel like I have to say this because the audience needs to know something bad's going to happen. There are red flags that are reasonable enough to look over if you weren't the audience looking for them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like, it makes total sense that she does not see these And again, I do think she is just kind of this normal girl who's just looking for adventure. So Mm -hmm. to her, you know, drinking with strangers or having a one-night stand is something that doesn't feel so out of the realm of possibility. Something this movie did really well with is bringing suspense, like introducing suspense into the film and then keeping that suspense up and uh, up and active all the way to the next moment of of suspense. And uh, and I've I don't there aren't many films that. I've seen that have, and I I don't usually watch like the Oscar contenders. I'm I'm the guy who That's watches fair. superhero films, it, so yeah, so, you're good. You're good. No, don't so, worry about so, it. So, yeah, I like, knew this. I knew I, that's all. That's a, the other reason we're doing these episodes, Tyler. So I make you watch Oscar stuff, even though this wasn't nominated for anything and it was never in consideration. But you know what I mean. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. One moment of tension that really, really kept me on the edge of the. I, I want to say edge of the seat, but I was sitting on the couch. So edge of the couch um, was a it's a moment that Claire has been broken to a point of where she is. She is now she's not necessarily resisting um, all the all the time. Um, and she more preserving. She's preserving herself to fight when she sees um, is the best opportunity. And uh, she and so Andy is giving her a a shower and uh, and then there's a knock at the door. And Andy had this, as we said, he's a high school English teacher. He had this really creepy uh, scene. Um, yeah, the scene we talked this, about with the, yeah, uh, the high school where he's yeah. just like staring down this high school girl, and um, so she, the high school girl, decides to further this encounter and arrives at his house. Well, she knocks at the door, and Andy, Andy, holds his hand over uh, Claire's mouth and says, 
if you scream, I will have to kill her. Um, and basically he's like, this is your fault if you, if you do this. And the whole, the whole time through this, um, Andy just constantly tells Claire, this is your fault. This is happening. This is your fault. You said that you wanted to stay with me. Later on when he does actually kill someone, he says it's her fault and makes her pick it up. And he even says, he even tells her, you told me that you wanted to stay with me forever. You know, and is this not what you wanted? This is what you said. So he goes to the front door and the high schooler starts talking with with Andy and there's just this like suspense that it's like what's going to happen because I want Claire to escape but also I want this high you know I I don't want anything to happen to this high schooler um but also I want Andy and to get his up cu- the come up well. it does yeah. it sets it up super super well um and Danny you talk about like how the scene preceding this one terrified yeah. you well it's just like you know it's i was viewing it as he was looking at her as the person to do next yeah you know what i mean yeah Give this torture to next yeah he was, was setting like, he's setting up yeah future victims mm-hmm. it's just so gross it's just well it's i think disgusting. that's why yeah. i think that's why the climax works so well the climax is uh or the, how it ends just briefly is that uh franca helps uh claire escape mm-hmm like a photograph motifs. Sorry. <laughs> and I I think it's kind of interesting just how how Andy talks. I mean, it's very like classically like, you know, gaslighting and just being gross. Yeah. And he he is using Franca and he does try to make her feel special only to tear her down. So in that way, the ending to me kind of reads as like two of his victims working together. Well built up to this um to this tension is um, Andy is taking this. So he's, he's got Claire hostage and he's done all these horrible things to her. He's tied her up to the bed. Um, he, he, uh, I, I don't know if he's withholding food from her or, or what, but she can't eat while he's gone to work because she's tied to the bed. And uh, so he, He's been doing all these terrible things to her, but then he flips flips on her and he's also giving her baths and he's clipping her toenails uh, you know and fingernails and he's he's taking on this role of caregiver, which really damages Claire's psyche because she's like, is he is he my caregiver? Does he really care for me? Because I feel guilty that I'm taking advantage of you know of him. He has provided this house for me, which I'm not making excuses for Andy being right because he is clearly in the you know in the wrong. He he is the antagonist of this of this film. Um but you know from Claire's from Claire's point is you know this is what she's dealing with and just the the creepiest line in this film is, is coming from Andy to Claire while he's clipping her her uh fingernails is he says what is the worst thing I could do to you? And let me tell you, happily married for just a little over a year now. And congrats. That is not. Oh, that. Say that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, <laughs> that is not a line that any, anyone says to the person that they, that they love the dearest. That is the, Oh yeah. Uh, it is the, it was the creepiest thing. And I was just like, she's, I, Here's a point where they could have 
he say, what is the worst thing I do? I could do to you? And then she says, you put caterpillars all over me while I'm taking a bath. I don't know. I'm just saying something random. But uh, <laughs> I, I have to bathe in high fructose corn syrup. But like, <laughs> and, like it's just something you know terrible. And I was like, please don't give away the ending here. And I'm really glad that they resisted that, you know, in this film. And it's like, what's going to What's going to come of that? What? You know, it, I kind of like the the answer if anything cuz I know this is what you're saying, but like, you know, what is the worst thing I could do to you? If we look at that question and say, well, what would Claire say to Andy? The answer if we were, if we were in a movie like this, the answer the movie gives us is, well, I'm going to trap you in the hell that you trapped me in. Mm. Like, is that the worst thing she can do to him? Uh, well, that's the answer the movie comes across if we want to look at it that way. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think it's also what makes it so creepy, too, is like, to me, you know, him saying, you know, what's the worst thing I can do to you? Like, he's already doing it to her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in, exactly. in his mind, he's like, I could do so much worse. I'm doing so much for you. I could, there could be something worse. Yeah. And it's just like that, like that creepiness of like, he thinks he's doing nothing wrong. Or, you know, to him, he isn't doing anything wrong. It's just like. Yeah. And, well, and oh, we, know, <laughs> we know he's done this to other, to at least one other girl. But I would assume with how he he starts to like I, I think at the beginning of the third act he starts to um, he tries to initiate the same exact conversation with another girl at a party and oh I that actually had, that was a good moment that when he, he had with pronounces the word again yeah and it's it's like yeah we know that there's a girl that was from Canada that he had. He had this um, this same situation with, but we don't know if she if she lived. I assume that she she's dead. Oh, I think she's yeah. dead. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he tells his dad she moved she went back to Canada. But I'm like, I don't, I don't buy, he, buy that. He's tying up all loose ends with uh, bystanders. She's dead. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, she's she's gone. Um, but yeah. Um, what I have for suspense and tension, I have two scenes. Mm-hmm. One of them is the screwdriver scene, which to me is what if I had to name like the most iconic like horror scene of this movie, yeah. it would be that in a way. Because it's the one time she really gets to fight back in like the first half of the movie. And it's that, you know, she he he buys her a puzzle, which I'll just say is one of the I don't want to say it's like insulting because there's so much stuff he does in this, and it's also an understatement to call it insulting. It's condescending. That's what it, it's like. Yeah, I got you a puzzle to do when you're bored here. She's like 25. <laughs> like what the heck? <laughs> like and also just like, dude. Like anyway. Uh, so then she comes. He comes in and she's doing the puzzle and she's like, oh, can you help me? And this is the one time I thought Andy was like. Oh, well, I, I, it's not that he's dumb. I bought that he'd be delusional enough to be like, oh, look, she loves me now type of thing. But he's just like, oh, yeah, I'll help you with the puzzle, of course. <laughs> and it's just like, but anyway, yeah. Uh, and yeah. she uses the time to distract him. She, I think she drops the puzzle piece on purpose, mm-hmm. so he has to bend up and pick it up. Mm-hmm. And then she stabs his hand, screwdriver. And uh, yeah, good moment, but very tense moment because... Like, she then tries to run away and grabs his keys also. And obviously she doesn't make it out because that's only in the first hour of the movie. But she makes it a decent amount of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but and then she she he like what snaps his fingers her fingers yeah he, he her hand is in the door and he close he slams the door and then he snaps her fingers did you see how calmly he slams the do- her fingers in the door yeah that, yeah that like ugh it I just. I'm like, this, I just, this episode should just be called the, ugh, <laughs> the <laughs> like, ew, yeah, gross. Ugh. Yeah, it, the the screwdriver going going into into the hand is. I was like, oh crap! And then I was like, get out of there! Like this is your, you know, this is your chance. Come on! And I I was talk I was like talking to the TV, and I also knew I'm like this is way too early for her for her to escape. Um, and then. Yeah, Never she know. Gets full room. All the way, she gets all the way out to uh, to this kind of a uh, not a yard, but uh, a courtyard. Yeah, courtyard. Yes, and so she gets out to this courtyard, and then she's trying to go through this hallway, gets the door, and then he just calmly like moves the door and slams them in there, and oh, that that one. We talked about Danny. We talked about how about the eyeball scene in the first Avengers movie being gross, and this this is obvious. Well, it's meant well, to be. Much I'll be more honest. Gross. This is me. This is me feeling. This is me feeling. I felt bad for this being my reaction, but when she stabbed his hand, I was like, "Ew!" But that was just <laughs> me imagining like the screwdriver going into my hand, yeah. and I was like, "Well, I, I still he he deserves this, but it's still gross." I mean, my yeah. thought my thought was like, "Good for her." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's like that's that's what my response should have been. Yeah, I, I was totally I was, like, that. I was like, "You go, girl!" Like escape. <laughs> like, like I I had I had the same moment with. Uh, I just didn't want to look at it. I just I was like, yeah, yeah, do it. I just don't show me it, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then uh, and then even further, even further is when he rips his hand away. To, that was the sound. Of yeah, the like, screwdriver is ugh. still in the table, and he just lets it rip through his skin and just pull out. Ugh. Yeah, that it was. Anyways, your next point, Danny. <laughs> My other point is at one point she he gives her a dog. And not five minutes later in the movie, he kills the dog. <laughs> Off screen, thankfully. I missed that part. I think, thank goodness. Because I was like, I was like, where'd the dog go? <laughs> <laughs> well, you should be happy. I would like to think that he just like left the dog on the street. I don't know, like, because when he's in the car, yeah, feels a bit optimistic. When he's in the car, you can hear a dog barking in the background. So to me, that was like the dog being like, "Hey, can I come in the car?" <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna go with okay. With well, I'll take yeah. it. I'll take. I'll take it. And the I actually had to, and obviously, like I had seen this before, but I actually had to like stop and like Wikipedia and be like, "Does this dog die?" <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Does the dog die? <laughs> The sequel to this movie is Claire becomes John Wick, and uh, oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I just have an art. To be clear, the notes for this is just doggy frowny face. Uh, <laughs> when a dog shows up, I'm, I get I get hype. Anyway, uh, Sarah, do you have any other suspenseful moments or scenes of tension that we did not mention that you want to talk? He about? He has like a weird, creepy like sex room, as as one does, and she, um tries to use like a like a bobby pin or a paper clip or something to pick the lock and it gets it breaks and it gets stuck in the lock and there's a scene 
where he's trying to um, open the door and she like whimpers and just like when she whimpers, it just, oh man, it got me so bad. I was like, this is horrible. Yeah. That's, again, this this office is called, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's all of that suspension, tension, suspense and tension really builds this, it builds this film's believability. Well, that, I mean, the amazing portrayals from the actors, you know, obviously to sell it. But, but yeah, like, I don't think there was a moment in this film, and a lot of horror movies have that, where it's like, okay, that wouldn't happen, you know? But uh, there was everything in this is I'm like, okay, I could really see this. Like, this could be, this is, this is plausible, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, which is why I think all of those moments. That's what makes it so scary. Exactly. Exactly. This is, yeah. all feels so plausible. Yeah. And that, and that's even, even to her eventual escape. I truly believe she was not going to make it out. I, I was, I was like, you know what? We could get, we could very much get, um, we could get a Scorsese departed ending, not with a rat. But uh, I was gonna say, just cut to a rat. Just cut to a rat. To but uh, but yeah, like basically, where it's it's just this like, and life goes on type thing, you know. And he goes on to the next victim, and I'm like, I I really don't want that. But also, I can truly see that you know this film going going there. I think it's interesting you got there because it kind of goes to where I was, where I was like. I felt like there was the unsp- as we as we call it the unspoken contract to the audience mm-hmm. when you're entering something that's playing a bit more genre that this is going to have if not a happy ending at least some form of justice at the end of it because mm-hmm. otherwise we wouldn't spend an hour of it of her just being tortured if she was still going to die at the end of it you yeah. know what I mean yeah uh, we need to get that catharsis of her having the chance at a better life again after. Going through just how long we spend with her getting tortured and trying to escape. Mm-hmm. She needs to she needs to either succeed or fail in a concrete way that still gives us some form of comeuppance for Andy. I get what you're saying in the sense that this is like art film, so you don't necessarily need to give the audience a crowd pleasing ending. But I didn't think the way this movie was going that it was gonna end in a way that would have been particularly I don't think Claire was going to end up in a worse place than she already was. Well, for you know me, I mean? like, to me, the tone just didn't really feel like it was going to have an unhappy ending. Because I think that there were enough moments where she did have these, like, small triumphs. Where there were, you know, there were moments where you could yes. really root for her and continue to root for her. Um, I think her, like, not, she never gave up hope. So for me, I never gave up hope. So I didn't really, I didn't anticipate like an not i mean i don't think the ending is like happy but i i didn't anticipate an unhappy ending because i don't think that it would have fit with the overall tone it doesn't have a hopeless tone to me i wanted to say um also about the escape because i almost mentioned it earlier but i think someone kept talking i was like oh i'll bring it up because we have it in the notes to talk about later and i guess this is me kind of saying i like this movie being written the way it is uh but i like that she um remembered franca she very specifically looks at the notebook, sees it's Franca, and that's the one that she puts the note in. Yeah. Because she knows that she knows that she knows where 
Andy lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is very, it's very, sm- uh, she's smart throughout the whole movie, but it's a very like, it's not treated like it's a big deal within the direction of the movie. It, Cause it shouldn't be a big deal. It's not a big deal to her. It's just her natural resources. Remember she even, she even asks, she says, what was that girl's name? Yeah. So it's just planting the seeds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So to me, that is a payoff. Not only in this, it, the entire escape was her. Like it was entirely in Claire's mind. It wasn't a lucky student. She picked, she outright searched for Franca's book. Gave the note there, or the photo there, and that's what led to it. The only thing Franca did that was a mistake was she dropped the photo. Come that on, wasn't Franca. her fault. I know it wasn't. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> it's very much a, no, what are you doing? Yeah, but, Even though it's obviously like, it's just, she dropped see, the photo. She, she I dropped, can't get mad at her. She dropped the photo, which causes Andy to go back to the, to the apartment. But I don't think we would have got the ending which we'll talk more about our uh, ending theories um because i i've i think i've got a different theory on how this movie ends as opposed to danny i swear if your theory is that she joins the black widow corporation no i'm going to quit no. this podcast i am i am not gonna try to, to weave this okay, film into the mcu or any other running franchise. This is in my Adam Sandler universe of films, <laughs> where all the Adam Sandler films, <laughs> there are just multiple Adam Sandlers. Uh, anyways. And so, she goes to me to be Halloween after this. But, no. uh. but anyways. <laughs> my thing for believability kind of kind of goes into the next point, um, which okay. is to... Well, you can do it. Do it. Yeah. Get us in. I mean, I think what I, what I think is really... Like, I don't think the plot or anything of this movie is, like, anything, like, amazing. I mean, it's a good plot, but it's it's not, like, super, you know, original, you know what I mean? But I really, I think that the lack of, like, romanticism and the lack of, like, her being completely brainwashed, um, but still having, you know, Stockholm Syndrome or Berlin Syndrome um, works really well. Because, like... If you read, like, I don't know if you guys are, this is not a, a pleasant topic at all, but, like, if you read about, like, real-life kidnappings, like the like the Cleveland kidnappings, um, and you read, like, the accounts of the girls, the like, even if they're there for years and years and years, like, they still always think about escape. And so they could still, you know, want to live there in the sense of, like, wanting to have the, the things that they have and still have this, like, pretty healthy relationship with their kidnapper but escape is always you know on their minds and i really i like how in this movie it doesn't turn back into a romance (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it's it's very clearly like it's very much like she wants to escape even though she's gotten comfortable in where she's at it's kind of also what she said about like she doesn't lose hope like she's always focusing on how do i get out of the situation and she's always going to try yeah, yeah, because even even the moments where we see Stockholm, like the Stockholm syndrome, you know, influence her her behavior, there's still that underlying, you know, it's it's more of a I have to embrace this to be able to live through to my next to the next point, you know, waiting for that moment of vulnerability. Yeah, I think you said it best, Tyler. You said like she was like she's conserving her energy 
for the next escape. And I think that I think that really is probably the best way to phrase it. And she still has little moments where she fights back, even though she knows there's no change. I'm thinking like when she's doing the kung fu, uh, in yeah. the posing stuff like that, where she's like, "No, I'm not going to let you control me, even for this thing that you're making me do." Well, this is kind of part of both believability and um, with the character analysis is that she uh, it's that self-preservation that I think everyone well, it's just a part of just life in general, you know, like a, a dog is is worried about food water and sleep you know what i mean like if it's got those things then you know it's happy it's happy to let you uh pet it and everything but if it doesn't have those things it's gonna you know self-preservation it's it's gonna shut down something to until it gets those needs uh now we're going into maslow's hierarchy of needs but uh but this is a heavy episode right (laughs) this is a psychology episode um uh, it's fitting that I just finished one of my classes on educational psychology <laughs> that you know, we're going to be talking about psychology, not, not educational psychology, but, uh, but no, I want to, wanted to go into more about like the Stockholm syndrome. Um, there was at one point, like I was cheering for Claire the whole way through the, through the film. Um, and cause there are some like horror movies where it's like, okay, you're that you're that dumb. You're going to make that decision, yes. you know, like, yeah, don't go out into the woods when they're like, oh, there's an axe murderer on the loose. Don't go out in the woods that, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so uh, which I know that's that's a horror horror trope. Hey, 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 don't have a baby during a sound apocalypse. Sorry. <laughs> ah, don't, 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 at, don't at me. Don't at me with Quiet Place. Sorry. Sub-tweets. Anyway. Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> look, look, okay. But, like, it's not like they No, planned. we can go on. We're not going to talk about Quiet We're not going to talk about pregnancies, like, Danny. This is now the Quiet Place podcast. Um, where we uh, actually, actually no, sorry. <laughs> if we ever do cover Quiet Place, we have to, like, whisper the entire episode. We have to stay below certain Ooh. decibels. That'd be cool. ASMR episode. Yeah. Except that wouldn't work. <laughs> It'd have to be a video podcast. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but yeah. So talking about back to Stockholm syndrome, um, Andy has been gone for, for a little while. I assume maybe like around like a week at the most. Um, he's been visiting with his dad and while visiting with his dad, his dad passes away from natural causes. Um, the way that whole scene is set up, talk about suspense. I thought that he was going to chop up his dad and feed it to the dog. I I was like, I, I was Jeez. just like, I was like, he's this creep. He's that creepy. He'd do it. And, but then no, the, the, uh, pet paramedics come, come to the house, to his dad's house and they take his dad away. I feel like it'd be more likely he chops up it takes it home to Claire and be like, I brought us some steak. And then after they ate it, be like, yeah, that was my dad. Yeah. 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 I'm just saying like, anticipating. I was anticipating that because I'm like, I mean, it's got to get worse. It's got to get worse, which it kind of. What's the worst thing I could do? I could feed you my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. um, So. uh, So, yeah, Andy eventually comes home. 
Um, Claire has been freezing at home because it's the middle of winter and uh, starving and too. The no power food. went out. Yep. Yeah, no food. So she's just covered in all of these, um, all of these coats. And then Andy comes home, and Andy's the one that's providing for her. You know, and talk about Stockholm syndrome, and she sees that something's not right with him, which. We've been telling her this whole time something's not right with Andy. But <laughs> anyways, so uh, she, yeah, she eventually, she has sex with Andy, which to me was like, I was like, no, no, don't, don't do this. But it really, it really shows like how mind warping Stockholm Syndrome is. It's definitely a memorable scene in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, um. It doesn't I'm trying to figure out how to word this uh, because one, I wasn't expecting it to happen at all because Claire has been very strong resolve this entire movie. Yeah. But also, you know, when you're left alone a week and I didn't really because I'm not I don't have a psychology background. I didn't have a hierarchy of me, but uh, what do you Maslow's call it? Hierarchy, hierarchy of needs. needs. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have that in mind at all with this. I was just like, he's home. She wants food, so she's going to let this happen, even though it's it's disgusting. Yeah, uh, it's rape. I'm just gonna say it. It's it's a it's a rape scene. Yeah, uh, and yeah. It's really gross. Uh, to have that to have that clarified to our listeners uh, a little bit, if it was vague. Uh, but yeah, it's just a really because uh, to me is Sarah actually told me about the scene beforehand. She told me there is a rape scene in this film that um, does it's kind of complicated to talk about. And because I don't remember who initiates, but the fact is, is that she is in captivity. So the fact is, is that anytime she has sex with him. To me, at least to me, this is how I view it. Maybe I'm wrong. This is an assault there's no consent because she has no one she has no other option you know what i yeah. mean and mm-hmm. she is forced to have no other option uh but yeah it's a really gross scene uh to me it's honestly one of the grossest because yeah yeah he's gone for a week dealing with his dad but i gonna be if he actually cared about her which we know she does he doesn't at all he could have easily taken the trip back home to check in on her give her food fix stuff up not fix you know what I mean? yeah like he didn't have to put her through that but he did it because he wanted to and he says oh it's because of my dad no it's it's not that's not an excuse this whole thing is an excuse you can't excuse this whole thing off your dad being you have to be there for your dad sorry now i'm getting mad because I, <laughs> I, I hate this character so much i'm mad at yeah. the character to be clear i want to be very clear like andy Die. <laughs> Andy, die. I mean, my take on the scene, and this is... I don't want... This is going to make me sound so weird, like how I'm going to describe this scene. But, it's you know, okay. It's okay. Like, for me, you know, as a woman, there are certain things that I obviously don't want to see on screen. Um, that's partially why I ended up not watching Lore. Um, because, you know, it's just like you don't want to see it. You just don't... and. For me, like, I, 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 this is like gonna sound so bizarre. I personally, 
I found it, as far as, like, rape scenes go, I found it to be, like, pretty well done, if that makes sense. Like... Yes, I get you. There's so many, like, complicated emotions with it. Um, But it feels like... I guess my big thing with, you know, sexual assault in movies is, like, is it necessary? And, like, 90% of the time, it's not. And to me, I felt like this film... Again, this is horrible phrasing... But I felt like it kind of earned the scene. Like it felt I know what like, you mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like it was out of nowhere. Like it, it was a surprising scene, but it didn't feel like you know. It had been built yeah, up. This was the this yeah. was the scene that really sold me on the Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This is this to me. Yeah, is a hundred percent where the title of this movie comes yeah. from. To me, and it's for me. You know, as Again, as a woman, but, you know, if I can watch a movie like this and I can watch a scene like this and, you know, be able to think about it in a more, like, clear way, then I think that it's a really well done movie overall. Because it elicits those emotions, but it doesn't do it to make me feel just, like, horrible. It doesn't do it just to make the audience feel, you know, gross. It does it with the characters in mind, which I think is really important. So yeah, I it's weird to say, but like for me, this scene is almost like one of my favorite scenes in the movie because I think that it's so different than what you would expect. Like, and I I'm, I don't mean to be like divisive, but I think if it was like a male director, I don't know if it would have had the same effect. I I would agree with you as as a man. I would agree with you. Uh, uh, there's a element of taste to it that. I don't want to, that sounds weird too saying there's an element of taste yeah. in this rape scene but it doesn't feel like it's trying to be provocative. There's like an I guess an understanding is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Overall, there's kind of this understanding to why it's there. And I I mean I know from like Teresa Palmer's perspective, she said that she like the film really affected her. It ended up affecting her in like a positive way. Um and I just I think that it's Again, it's it's a weird scene to like talk about, but like I get it, you know. Like I get it. I guess I I I, under, I understand. I'm it. glad. I want to be clear. I'm glad we talked about it. Uh, it's something we could we could have very easily been like, let's not touch this. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. Here we did, the, and that's what happened. And that's <laughs> like knowing that the like this stuff, knowing what happens in this film, um. And especially with, there are a good two or three very prominent um, sex scenes in this in this film. I would, if this was being shown somewhere on the big screen, um, and especially Dolby Atmos, you know, with the sound, like, I'm not talking, I'm talking about, like, what I'm saying, okay, because that sounds wrong. I go, what no, I, I go, what I'm saying, no, no, I, I what get I'm what you're getting. Is go, on, like, go on. Is that even though it has these very intimate or very not necessarily intimate moments, you know, but very um, explicit moments in in the film that that I would still go see this with a possible audience in the same room as me um, because I think. That's like 
the sound design of this, you know, of this film, you know, hearing like that. I don't know. I, I think that the theatrical there would the theatrical experience of this film would also be very different from watching it at home, you know, and I think that those moments of heavy impact like the Stockholm syndrome uh, rape scene, I think, you know, those would be even stronger, you know, on the on the bigger on the bigger screen. I kind of want to respond, but I will tell you right now that my rewatch film opinion has to do 100 percent of what you just said. So I will put it in my back pocket, but also tell you that I agree with you pretty much 100%, Tyler. Uh, but I'm going to get into why a bit later on. Why is with Ty and Dan, right? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, shall we move on? I think we've discussed this scene enough. I don't think mm-hmm. we need to go yeah. into it anymore. Uh, so let's just talk briefly about the actors, because I feel like... <laughs> okay, this is such a terrible segue. We talked about Teresa Palmer a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but we haven't talked about the man. Right. <laughs> no. Uh well, okay, but let's talk about Teresa Palmer a bit more. She is very good in this. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, we should still start with her. We've kind of covered why she's good in this. Uh, I don't think we really need to go into more. I think, uh, is it Rymelt? Rymelt? Yeah, it's Rymelt. Uh, who plays, uh, who plays uh, Andy. It is very easy for this type of role to go into caricature. Yeah. And he doesn't, even yeah. though he's still really creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always grounded creepiness. Yeah, though. he has. Is, he has. Like, for example, when you see him at the party, you're like, "Oh, of course, no one notices." This guy's just a weirdo. He's just a weirdo mm-hmm. who you work with. You know? Yeah. He has little ticks, little like nervous ticks. That. That's all up to the actor to bring that to the role. Exactly. You know, um, and it's kind of like the I'm gonna do a throwback to the MCU. Um, of like RDJ brings certain things to his, you know, to his character that uh, Tom Cruise was initially um, was rumored to be, you know, wanted to be playing um, Tony Stark, and which a a Tom Cruise Tony Stark would have been a much different RDJ, Tom, you know, uh, Tony Stark. I said Tom Stark. You know, and RDJ brings these ticks to the to the character, and that's something that this actor does really well with Andy. Um, uh, br- yeah, bringing these little things that we, as the audience, we immediately see them. But yeah, like you said, Danny, other people are like, okay, yeah, he's just he's a weirdo. Uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I say something interesting about this actor? I just saw because I looked up his wiki page. Yeah. As well, he's most famous for Sensei, which is a the Netflix show that the Wachowskis did. But he's gonna be in the Matrix Four, so oh. that's kind of exciting. Hmm. Nice working relationship I there. Know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I imagine he'll be kind of a. Uh, he seems like a henchman bad guy, or you know, not a big one. Yeah, but still, it'll be cool to see him because uh, this is honestly the type of um, this is the type of I don't want to say foreign film because it's not entirely foreign. It's just Australian. Where I'm surprised the actors haven't been picked up elsewhere. Uh, I get it that Teresa Palmer was already kind of famous, so it doesn't really matter. But this guy seems like he should have had a better career post this movie. Uh, maybe he's on a TV show. Oh, yeah, of course. He, he was on Sunset at the same time. Uh, gotcha. But my my point is, is like, like to compare it to, um, what's it? Uh, Somersault. Abby Cornish. Uh, I don't think she's famous, but she's a working actor. And she's been working since Somersault came out. And kind of put her on the scene type of thing. Uh, but yeah. 
He's good. That's my kind of eye for. Like he's a very good uh <laughs> fun detail yes. from the wiki page I just noticed. Uh uh Rymelt was chosen from a short list of ten male actors. Shortland felt like he best portrayed the lack of shame of a true psycho sociopath. <laughs> what a compliment. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think this is kind of a difficult. I mean, this it is, is a difficult, difficult role. Yeah. Like, and if somebody were to offer it to you, I feel like it's it's got to be tough to like get into that mindset and to like. I mean, and this is again like he doesn't have any like huge roles. Like this is he's known now for being like this creep. And I think that's like yeah. a very like brave. I wonder choice. if he plays a bad guy yeah. in Sunset. I haven't watched Sunset. Um, because I wouldn't want to be typecast. The yeah, way I would imagine this movie yes. would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, fun fact: because I have the wiki page open, is that two weeks before filming began, Palmer and Rymelt stayed together in an apartment. Uh, as uh, I don't know, if, it doesn't say for method acting, but you know what I mean. That definitely is a prop thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, okay, so let's get to the ending, and then we can yeah. So, uh, so at the very, <laughs> at the very end of the movie, like we said before, uh, Franca, um, gets the picture in the journal and she's like, oh, hey, there's someone who's being held captive, you know, at, at, uh, at Andy's apartment. So she goes to Andy's apartment and frees Claire um, and then Andy goes back, and eventually uh, Claire locks Andy in his apartment. You know, we get this uh, turn of you know turn of event or yeah um, turn of events. I can't think of the 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 chairs switch. I don't. I I can't think of the 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 <laughs> phrasing that I'm trying to say. Anyways, so place yeah they switch places basically, and now. Andy's locked inside his house and Claire's on the outside. Um, and Danny, you said you said something about uh, I think in the notes it says, "Let's be real, Andy won't be trapped yeah. there forever." Forever. Well, you know they <laughs> yeah, for forever. Yeah, sorry. Uh, well, it, it's like you know that's a nice little. Uh, I don't. I don't say cute ending, yeah. but you know what I mean. It's like a nice, nice little way to end it, but. Uh, Claire, of course, is going to be asked, well, where's Andy? Where's this guy? And she's she's not going to, I don't think she's going to lie. You know, she'll say, this is where I was kept. And well, you she's can find also, him there too. Remember, she was also like in the newspaper listed as yeah. a missing person. Um, I think the movie is so grounded in realism overall that I, I it's an, like, it's an interesting idea. And of course, like you want him to stay there forever. Um, but I also think um, ba- just based on her interactions with Franca, I don't think that she would just leave him and not have him face repercussions for this other girl. Yeah, and that's kind of, that's kind of what because the ending is. But I'm glad we don't see the it. The ending is. Mm-hmm. I want to be yeah. clear. I'm glad we don't see yeah, that. And we don't need to see that. In the ending, I I love when films do this. Is they leave the ending open for interpretation. Um. Which I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little bit like uh, our uh, dir- directorial professor here, Danny. I'm gonna uh, channel channel Shagun. Where Please don't he, do the voice. I, no, Please I won't. Don't do the voice. Uh, he, <laughs> okay, he talks about like where he talks about, um, and he was talking about theater. Theater is art, and art can you know it. The power of art is that it can speak on. It's a medium with which we can speak on events and uh 
important, you know, topics of importance within culture. And this is definitely one topic that, you know, would be something that you can, you know, uh, do that with art, which is what film filmmaking is, is an art. It's, it's, it's art. Um, and to leave it open to, for interpretation, that is the true beauty of art is that your, your piece can be interpreted in a multitude of ways, you know, but your message can still get across. And I think Kate Shortland did a really good job with doing that. And she leaves this ending, um, which is also a credit to the screenwriters. Um, but it's, you know, yeah. it's, let's, it's left let's, open let's say the screenwriter's name. for interpretation. Uh, I'm just going to say the screenwriter's name. So we, it's, sh- oh, this was written by a man. I know. Wow. I was surprised Ew. as well. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was surprised. I don't know. Well, the book is written by yeah. Woman. So it's written by Sean Grant. The book is, as I said earlier, written by Melanie Justin, whose name I'm pretty sure I'm mispronouncing. But, but yeah, I mean, Kate Sherwin has like a slight. She has like a story credit or something. So she. Oh okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But but yeah, I I like I like that. Um, my ending is that Claire and I. I want to go around. I'm gonna go around the table and get every everybody's take. <laughs> okay. Uh, Okay, but once we're done, I do have one thing I want to comment on what you just yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, do you want to comment before we go go around? Oh, well, it's kind of, it's not, it's literally like a, such a small bit of what you said, because I agree with most of what you said. But you got me thinking when you mentioned Shagoo and that, like, I'd be curious to see this book adapted into a stage play that's just set yeah. in the apartment. Uh, I'm sure, though, there are plays that exist that are about this type of story. Uh, but yeah, once you said that, I was like, oh, this would be a really good It, w- it would work. Work is a play. Yeah. And being very close to these actors. Oh, if this was set in a black box theater, like if you had Coliseum seating, yeah. Oh my, sorry, I, I'm going into director mode here, but I'm like, ugh. okay. Anyways, so a bit better than Spider-Man. Turn off the door, <laughs> just a little bit, right? <laughs> oh, um. So, anyways, <laughs> the O. <laughs> <laughs> The one O in this episode that was not about the film. <laughs> so, so yeah, my my ending is that Claire, Claire and Franca escape. They go to the authorities. You know, she says, "I've been missing for this long." They apparent, you know, they obviously recognize her, and then she says, "This is where, this is where he kept me, and he is in there." Um, and then. We, we get our justice, you know, served to Andy and he's locked behind bars. And then uh, she returns to uh, Claire returns to Australia. However, you know, obviously she's going to she's going to need counseling and in therapy, you know. Um, but yeah, that's that's and that is a very, very hopeful and optimistic, you know, because I I'm just. I'm just, I'm just very, very sympathetic for Claire. I'm like, I'm like, you, you get the best ending you can have. You oh know? no, I, I think it's good to want a uh, optimistic ending. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say I'm about in the same boat. Like, I don't need to see all that. I'd be okay with just reading like, cut to Australia. Of course, again, I think the ending is good. I don't, I don't think we need this ending. But if I had to give it a more concrete ending, cut to Australia. We see mom, who's played by Nicole Kidman. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> is the father Hugh Jackman? Uh, 
<laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> no, but we cut to Australia and it mostly just see like a newspaper article that someone else is reading and they like put it away when uh, she enters or something. I'd imagine she's dealing with PTSD. Uh, I don't know. I know you haven't, Tyler, because you haven't seen any Brie Larson movie besides uh, Jump Street. Uh, but Room really actually delves into the PTSD that would happen for people like this. So I honestly imagine that entire thing in Room is what happens, but with honestly a little less hope. Because in Room, all the hope comes from the kid, and thank God she doesn't have a kid. But, you know, you know, uh, I, I would imagine it's a long road to recovery for her. But I have hope that she'll figure it out. I I, I want to say I have hope that she'll she'll make it through. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think as far as like endings go, I kind of I don't know. I kind of got the vibe, I guess, when she was looking out at Berlin that she wouldn't necessarily leave Berlin immediately. Um, like maybe she does. Yeah, go mom's to, gonna come to her. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe she does go to Dresden. Maybe she does. You know, continue to travel. Um. Because, you know, maybe home is not necessarily the place where she needs to heal. Especially, you know, when she has been trapped. Um, but yeah, I do think, like I said, I think the movie is very grounded in realism. So I I don't think it's like false hope to think that he'll probably be arrested. Um, because like the other girl's DNA was like all over his apartment as well. Yeah. Plus she had a witness. Okay. Well, those are, that's her, that's her um, I think we're good. I think that's our take on Berlin Syndrome, which we all highly recommend. Yep. Yes. And hope you watched before listening to that whole discussion because we did talk <laughs> about the entire thing. <laughs> we warned you multiple times. We weren't so. I do want to hit on a uh, predictions because we watched this. Wait, 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 day. wait, wait, wait. I saved something for the rewatch segment, which is before that. Okay, Raggy. Would we rewatch this film? I'm replying to Tyler from earlier, which I would rewatch this in a theater. Um, I do want to clarify one thing, which might be just such a Danny thing to clarify, because no one else would think about this, is that, so the music box, I love them. Uh, and usually if they show a older movie, and the older just by mean like not in current release movie, and it's a horror movie, they would show it at midnight. I do not think this is a midnight no. movie at all. This is a 3 p.m. in the afternoon movie, yes. so I can recover before I go to bed. Uh, it's not a I'm slap happy and I'm watching it movie. So if they showed this at like 2 or 3 p.m. on a Saturday, I would try to seek it out. I would like to hear the sound design in a theater uh, type of thing. I can't imagine me sitting through it at home because, as I said, I did still think it was a bit long. Um, actually, honestly, talking about it has made me like the movie a bit more. Uh, but made me appreciate it yeah, more. I had to watch. I had to watch a couple episodes of Bob's Burgers to lighten the mood Like after, after I watched yeah, this. That's, that's yeah, that's fair. Hundred percent. I was fan. like, I yeah. was like, I've got uh, it before before we go on and talk talk about it. I've got to got to have a bit of a breather. <laughs> Sir, would you watch this a third time? Because obviously you watched it twice. I probably would, but I think it would probably be something where, like, I'm not the type of person who will rewatch movies like really frequently. Like, if I watch the same movie within like a year, then I think it's too often. So I would probably give this, you know, maybe like five years again. And just, you know, see down the line, rewatch it again. Yeah, I also definitely feel like this is a movie that for me, if I wasn't rewatching in a theater, and I, I say this because I feel like maybe you both would agree with me. 
I wouldn't necessarily rewatch it unless I'm showing it to someone else who I'd be curious what their take on it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, you didn't really answer. I'm sorry. I kind of cut you off. Uh, I didn't give you. Would you rewatch this? Is it a bit too tough? Yeah, I'd rewatch it. I'd I'd have to rewatch it in a theater. I I honestly with with how heavy it was, I don't know if I I could watch it again. Um, you know, at at home, like if I I yeah, I don't know. It's not it's not a fun afternoon yeah. watch. No. Yeah, it's really not. It's, it's not it's not a not a good sunny day outside, gloomy day inside. Yeah, yeah. I like uh yeah. This is definitely yeah. Yeah, so now we can move on to Black Widow. Move to a little happier, happier thing. Kate Shortland directed uh, Stockholm Syndrome, Somersault, and Lore. Um, Berlin Syndrome. Berlin Syndrome. Yeah, sorry. She, uh, yeah, so she she directed all three of those films, which is why we watched them uh, this week. Uh, what stands out most to me, what I am really excited about for the Black Widow film, is that Black Widow is a very complicated character in that and I don't think it's complicated by design I think it's complicated by lack of proper treatment in in prior films and also Sarah's like yes she's like (laughs) yes like she's not been treated properly in in prior films and she's also she is also like we talked about this last week, Danny, as how like Black Widow and Iron Man two and Black Widow and Avengers and Black Widow and Cap two are all three very different They're characters. All different characters. Yeah. So so I like this is Black Widow is a very complicated character, but not by design, you know. Um, and Kate, uh, I must say Kate Beckin Beckinsale, and I'm like, what? Kate Shortland did really well with these complicated characters you know with claire and andy in berlin berlin syndrome um she did really well with them so i'm really i'm really hopeful for uh black widow and that we will finally get a fleshed out fleshed out character and her confusing backstory will make a lot more sense um yeah i i don't know if if we can do that in one film but I think if anybody's capable of doing it, I think Kate Shortland would is so. I think I will just say this right now before we we go on a bit more is that apparently Scar Joe was a fan of lore <laughs> of the movie. That was that was one that she's like, let's get Shortland here, uh, which I'm kind of like, I I that is the one I'm most confused. But Sarah, you can go next because I watched. I don't want to be like I end because I watched all the movies, but. Yeah. I'm going to end because I watched all three of them. The most, like, character building that we've gotten with Black Widow. And to be clear, I don't know if I'll see Black Widow. We'll see. But <laughs> the Get most character... Popcorn, go to the movies! That's, yeah. <laughs> the most character building we've gotten was from Joss Whedon, which is kind of a... Uh, kind of a bleh name at this point. Yeah. Um, And... I mean, it was just terrible. It was about, you know, she couldn't bear children. You're not wrong. She was sexy and, you know, all this stuff. And I, I've, I, I'm curious because Black Widow, I just looked, it's written by a man, which not that men can't, you know, I mean, the first Wonder Woman movie was written by a man and I thought it was amazing. So it's not that men, you know, can't write stories like this. I'm very. Berlin Syndrome was written by a man. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I'm very curious to see like how, I mean, like you said, Tyler, like how they could reconcile mm-hmm. these backstories into one like comprehensible one. Yeah. But I'm also like, I kind of question the need for it because I mean, I mean, I haven't seen Endgame, but she's dead, right? I mean, that's spoilers. Yeah, she died. But she's, she dead. She's dead. So I find it a little bit like maybe too little too late. Um, and, you know, maybe they're potentially setting up, you know, her sister being in the universe. Um, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I think that anything would probably be better than just reading. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Agreed. Oh my gosh, Sarah, hmm. I have news for you. Also, I'm all, okay. So I opened the Black Widow page. Trust me, this is related. Is that Kate Shortland said that she was inspired by she wanted she wants Black Widow to have peril at its heart and be emotional but story driven, particularly taking inspiration from one of her favorite films, How to Train Your Dragon. Oh Whoa. my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> she's got taste. I want to. <laughs> that's that's cool. I'll have to tell Felicia that. That's an interesting poll. She's, she's a big <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon fan. I'm, I, I think we are all yeah. the yeah. How to Your Dragon fans. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a new. Why now? I'm like, oh, we just watched the How to Black Train Widow Dragon as trilogy. inspired <laughs> by How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> uh, but what? Uh, okay, so I watched all three of these movies. I think to go back to the question that began this, uh, why did Kevin Feige? Although now I read that ScarJo brought him up, brought her up. Uh, why did he pick? Kate Shirland to direct and I'm still a little confused I'll be completely honest I really cannot imagine Feige sitting down and watching all three of these movies and being like I'm gonna give her a PG-13 blockbuster uh that to me is just so confusing that said I want to see this tension brought to Black yeah I think Marvel has an issue always with tension in fight scenes and what is interesting in this Black Widow movie is that besides Black Widow and Florence Pugh's character, because we know she's going to be in Hawkeye, we don't know if any of these characters are going to continue on. And it's looking like it's being set up to be like it's a team, right? With Rachel Weisz and David Harbour also in it. And we don't know what's going to happen to either of those characters. I also look at the scenes in the recent trailer where it's like a flashback and family-oriented uh, about like their youth. And I think about... Um, I think about Somersault and how it very well portrayed and Berlin Syndrome does this too, but Somersault's more defined because it's a teenager character, uh, betray, portrayed, uh, you know, young characters who don't really or have a kind of a troubled upbringing and are just trying to figure their life out. Uh, and if those flashbacks are a bit p- big part of Black Widow, I'm interested in that. And the fact is, is kind of going back to what I said at the very beginning of this episode about previs is Black Widow has been a movie that's been said that, honestly, uh, there was a little bit of controversy about it. Uh, I don't remember who, but another director they looked at said was offered it, said, oh, yeah, I'll do it if you let me do the action. They're like, oh, no, we already did the action. You don't need to do that. And she's like, well, then bye. I'm not doing it. Uh, didn't uh, didn't Chloe Zhao say something like that? She said, like... Uh, Chloe Zhao said she'd rather do something that she pitches, not do something that's being pitched to her. I thought she had some like some interview or something where they said like you know you take care of the story and we'll do the action and she said like but I, I want to do the action. <laughs> oh, that was a uh, 
they asked her about this quote from this other person. That was in a Hollywood Reporter profile for Nomadland. Oh. And they asked her about the uh, quote from Lucretia Martel. Uh, also, Lucretia Martel has some good tastes. She said that she also turned it down because she thought the visual effects of our movies were horrible. <laughs> but she also thought the music was horrible. And you know what? I think <laughs> we can agree. Disney tried it. Lucretia there. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I gotta watch some Lucretia Martel movies. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, uh, but, yeah, that's kind of where I land. I hope she brings this tension to Black Widow. Sarah! Yeah? Tell us tell us some final thoughts. Doesn't need to be on the movie. It can be on the podcast. It can be about Marvel. It can be about Kate, our, our good friend Kate now. It can be about, well, it can't be about Berlin Syndrome. We wrap that up. Yes. We're, we're not delving back <laughs> into that. <laughs> well, I just want to say uh, thanks for having me. This is really fun. Glad to have you. Anytime there's another filmmaker you want to talk about, because I assume Marvel won't be. Well, you know what? If we do that Spider-Man 2 episode, we'll give you a call. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I think it's, I don't want to be, you know, come on here and be like, oh, Marvel shit, you know? And like, because I get, you know, I get, it's just, it's just not for me. Um, You know, that being said, I, I always like to talk about, you know, female directed films. So it was nice to be able to talk about these. Got to watch the movie or a movie that I didn't really ever think that I was going to watch, and that's uh, Summer Salt. You can find me on Letterboxd, Sarah Knopf, with S-A-R-H-K-N-A-U-F. Um, I also have another podcast with Danny and Caleb, who was on last week, um, called The Snub Club. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at S-G-K-29, E-S-S-G-E-E-K-A-Y, 29. All right. You're going to update that when you turn 30? Well, it's like my birthday date, so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, are you going to change that? <laughs> I'm, I'm also 25, so probably not. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. I think, I think that's our cue. That's a good closing <laughs> Thanks part. for listening to this week's episode of Why Is with Ty and Dan. We can be found on various podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and on our website, whyiswithtydan.buzzsprout.com. We are also on YouTube, audio only, at our channel, Why Is with Ty and Dan. You can also contact us by email at whyiswithtydan at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at whyis with Ty and one, because I'm number one. You can also follow me, Danny Vincent, on Letterboxd at Blankman's reviews of movies, including those not in the MCU or directed by Kate Shortland. We also like to thank uh, a good friend of the podcast, Joe Schrimmer, who edited both last week's episode before I thank him, and he's editing this week's episode for us. So thank you, thank Joe. Thank you, Joe. We appreciate you. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. And join us next week when we discuss... Well, actually, not next week. Join us this Friday when we discuss... The premiere of Loki. Loki. Dun dun dun. Zemo. Zemo. Yeah, I've got to figure out. I got to figure out another. Mephisto. Thing. Yeah. Mephisto. <laughs> Pacino. Uh, Let's go. You know, we could just go. We could just go. Oh wow! All right, guys, you know. we'll, we'll catch you in the next one. <laughs>